Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, Health Savings. How much does your doctor charge for an office visit? Do you know? Do you have any idea? What was the price of your last few prescriptions? Not your copay, but the real cost of those prescriptions, and were they available for a lower price at a different pharmacy? Do you have any idea? Me neither. Because we don't shop for our medicines and our medical services. Instead, we go in and pay our co-pays and don't worry a whole lot about the actual real total cost. That's because we don't have to pay for it. It doesn't come directly out of our pockets. So we don't have any incentive at all to find the best price, to find the best value. Currently, about half of all medical bills are paid by the federal government. And you know how good they are at cutting costs and keeping prices down. The other half, though, is paid by insurance companies. And because of that, because of those two things, there really is no free market for most medical procedures. It just doesn't exist. All we do is say, well, our insurance will cover this, or our insurance won't cover this, and there we go. We're all set. We don't have to worry about who has the best prices and who gives us the best bang for the buck. I've told a story before about how I went into a pharmacy armed with a prescription for a glucose meter and found that they were available anywhere from $14 to $80. If I were buying them with my own money, I would have bought the $40 one. I didn't like the $14 one. That was kind of cheesy. But the $80 one, which was virtually identical to the $40 one, gave results in five seconds instead of the 15 that the $40 one took. And so I looked at it and pretended to really give it some serious thought. But hey, the insurance company was paying for it. I bought the $80 one. And so it cost twice as much as it would have if I had been buying it out of my own pocket. Most medical procedures are covered by insurance, but there is a notable exception, and the history of it is pretty interesting. LASIK surgery, which most folks are paying for out of their own pockets, first came out about 15 years ago and cost about $4,000. Now it's 1500 bucks, and the procedure is vastly improved. This is what happens when the free market works. Works with everything else, why wouldn't it work with medicine? Currently, there are two kinds of savings accounts available to cover medical expenses. One which I have is called a flexible spending account, and it's really a pain in the ass. You have to tell them ahead of time how much you want to take out for the year, and that money goes in pre-tax, and then you can spend it on deductibles and copays and anything else that you want to. But the problem is that at the end of the year, if you haven't spent it all, it's lost. Which kind of negates the savings of putting the money aside pre-tax in the first place. The other type, which is much less common, is the health savings account. Now in a health savings account, any money that goes in there can be used for medical expenses, but it also can earn interest and It accumulates from year to year, so any money that you save this year 
ends up in the account for the next year. Currently, employers are not allowed to put a whole lot of money in there. For single people, they can put in $1,200. For a family, they can put in five grand, which isn't too bad. But then they're also required to have a high deductible major medical insurance on top of that. There is a proposal before Congress now which greatly simplifies it and adds a lot to the flexibility and the usefulness of the account. It's sponsored by Ron Paul, and basically what it says is that any employer can put up to $8,000 a year into this, and it can be used, it expands the use of it, to even covering health insurance. So you can use it to buy health insurance, but because you've already got money in there, it can be a high deductible. And it continues to work the way that it does as far as money accumulating over time. So it's not unreasonable that after a few years and you've been cautious with it, you might have five or six or $10,000 in there. Imagine a $10,000 deductible major medical policy. That's going to be pretty cheap. And each year that goes by, as you accumulate stuff, you can get a less and less expensive major medical health care policy. But the real beauty of this is that now you are a conscious, conscientious price shopper. And you're going to know what your doctor charges for an office visit. And you're going to know what a pharmaceutical costs. For instance, the doctor says, well, I've got this prescription here. It's $120 a month. You're going to say, well, hold on a second. Is there something less expensive that'll do pretty much the same thing? Maybe it's something that we can try first. And then when you get your prescription, you're going to start calling pharmacies and seeing which one has the best price on it. Competition. Free market. Things will get less expensive. Pharmaceutical companies aren't going to be able to charge some of the outrageous prices that they charge because people aren't going to pay that amount out of their own pockets. And people like me are going to buy the $40 meter instead of the $80 meter. If you do spend time in the hospital, you can be sure you're going to request for an itemized bill. And when you see that they've charged you $40 for two Tylenols, you're going to be calling them up and saying, Hey guys, you're going to either reduce this price down dramatically or I'm going to come over there and show you how to use Tylenols as a suppository. Doctors typically spend about 10 hours a week on paperwork. And they usually have two or three people in the office who deal with all of the insurance issues. Well, when people start paying more cash, they won't need as many people to do that. And maybe they can cut their paperwork time down to five hours a week. It's not realistic to think they'd be able to eliminate it, but... Now that's an extra five hours a week that they can spend with patients, making more money. And saving money on not having as many office personnel to deal with all the insurance foolishness. A couple of years ago, I went through a period of about three years where I was seriously underemployed. I'd get a few contract jobs here and there, but for the most part, I was working at these little lousy paying jobs and I had no insurance coverage. Except, fortunately, my wife had good health insurance coverage and I could get it through her. But if I had been single, I would have been in really bad shape as far as coverage was concerned. But if I had accumulated $10,000, let's say, in a health savings account, 
I'd be able to afford a high deductible major medical and have some money to pay for regular health care expenses. Another advantage is it makes it easier when you're at a job interview to find out exactly what you're going to get. I've never been in a job interview and gotten real detailed answer when you ask, what's your health coverage? It's always, oh, well, we have uh, major medical and we have dental and eye care and this and that. But it's not until you actually get in the job that you really get all the details. One of my daughters is working for a bank, and for six months they kept telling her, oh, yes, we have great medical coverage, great medical coverage, but it takes six months before we give it to you, which is pretty ridiculous. And then when she finally qualified, they said, okay, here it is. Look, this is this wonderful plan, and you get to pay for 100% of it yourself. Isn't that wonderful? But with health savings accounts, you wouldn't have any of that foolishness. You could simply ask, how much do you put into the health savings account? Oh, you put in 4000 Well, this other guy puts in six. so, hmm, I'll consider that when I'm selecting which job to have, if you're in that rare and enviable position of having multiple employers to choose from. You also eliminate this business where, okay, I've got my major medical here, I've got my eyeglass coverage over here, I've got my dental, and you got to sit there and juggle all this. It doesn't matter. It all comes out of the same account, so it's all right there. Now, a small employer may not be able to afford to give you decent health care coverage. Just can't do it. They're not profitable enough. They don't have enough money to do that. But they could say, well, you know, I can put $1,000 a year into your HSA. It's not wonderful. It's not everything, but it'll help. So it gives them a few more options. There's really no downside to this that I can see. There are people who claim that, oh, well, it's going to take healthy people out of the insurance market and uh, it's going doesn't solve the problem of health care for the poor well the best thing you can do for the poor is to make the cost of health care come down and maybe instead of saying well we're gonna have the government pay your bills we're gonna say okay well we'll give you an hsa and we'll dump a chunk of money into that each year and get people again started on the idea of paying their own bills and shopping for the best value Ron's plan is being opposed by the pharmaceutical companies and some major medical organizations. They don't like the idea that the monopoly is going to go away. That is another good reason to go for it. Now, if you really want to do something about this, I would suggest going to downsizedc.org. And right there on their front page, they've got a place where you can very easily write to your senators and congress weasels about it. They're good folks, too, uh, good folks to sign up with in general. And maybe, just maybe, we can help at least, if not completely, solve the medical problems and the healthcare issues in this country. Maybe we can get the price down by releasing the free market on it. And that's it for this episode of Quick Hits. If you learn a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations. You've been Spartanized. Today's podcast peer awards were announced find the best podcast in the universe by going to podcastpeers.org. This was something that I started a couple of years ago. I was frustrated with the 
one podcast award that was available at the time, which basically made it almost guaranteed that the most popular shows were going to win unless people vote day after day after day. And if you've got a big audience to do it, well, you're going to get in there. And if you're a small but excellent show, like say this one, then there's no way. There's no way that anybody's going to pay attention to you on that. But this, the Podcast Peer Awards, is done by podcasters, for podcasters, and for podcast listeners. And it's very difficult to win. It's really hard to win. It's easy to get nominated, but it's hard to be a finalist. When you get to be the finalist, you got to compete with the other finalists. And it's it's one of the hardest awards out there to win. So the people who have won are really excellent. They've got really superb shows. And it's well worth checking out. Again, it's podcastpeers.org. Click on the winners page. You'll find lots of great shows to listen to. And also, there's links on there to previous winners. This is the fourth time that we've done this. So um, check them out. Find some good stuff to listen to. Hey, you know, I love hearing from you. It's hitman at davehit.com. You can get the correct spelling of that in the MP3 tags of this file. You can also uh, go to davehit.com. That's spelled with two T's. I just found that there is a squatter on davehit.com spelled with one T. Uh, Nasty little people that serve absolutely no purpose whatsoever. So make sure you go to the one with two T's. And you'll find lots of interesting things there, including links that have my correctly spelled email address on it. And you'll also find the Quick Hits blog, which gets updated eh, probably once or twice a week, depending on uh, on what catches my eye and what interests me and how much time that I have. Stop by there and uh, leave a few comments. Uh, sometimes there's some interesting conversations as a result of that. Until then, never forget that the Quick Hits podcast is little more than a journal of one man's opinion, and therefore should not be taken too seriously.